back in the radio studio for a 7-Eleven edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Glad to be with you. And this will be one of the last podcasts from the radio studio for a while because I'm headed out on vacation. Looking forward to a little vacation in the sun. I am taking my podcasting equipment with me, but don't hold me to a podcast every two or three days. We'll see how it goes. Depending upon current events here, this is typically a dead time of year with NBA free agency and all the stuff we used to care about with the Cavs and LeBron. And, oh, I remember many summer vacations that were uh, built around, would LeBron leave, would LeBron stay? (laughs) Now the Cavs have a much younger team, and they have Darius Garland under contract for a record contract for the Cavs. So I'm interested in the Cavs. I'm uh, moderately interested in the Guardians, and uh, the Reds are not that interesting. I'm very, very, very interested in Ohio State basketball after watching watching Bryce Sensiball, or at least the highlights of Bryce Sensiball, go for 51 points in a summer league game where no defense is played. Don't get your hopes up. But the big news, of course, is the several-day-old trade of Baker Mayfield. So we will get to that. What are the best trades in Browns history? And what is the greatest trade all time in history? We'll talk about that today here on this edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. First and foremost, I hope those of you listening will inquire at patriotswitch.com about thinking maybe a little bit more about where your money goes that you spend on things we really don't think much about when we spend. What am I talking about? Mouthwash, shaving cream, toothpaste, laundry soap, dish soap, cleaning products. We got to have them, right? We got to have them. And we buy whatever's on sale. We don't think about what's in it. We don't think about who makes it. And we certainly don't think about what our measly two bucks for a bottle of countertop cleaner means in the grand scheme of things when it comes to corporate profits, lobbying efforts, environmental damage, damage to our own bodies, things like that. I'm telling you, you need to think about it. I'm not a crazy environmentalist, but I have a daughter with some skin and gut issues And we found out that the chemicals in some of the products we were using were exacerbating her condition. More so, we committed to Patriot Switch and the private shopping club that makes and manufactures everything because I just didn't have a ton of peace about the fact that my money was going to corporations that donate to causes I don't support, pro-abortion causes, anti-American causes, uh, fomenting discord in our society. So if you care about where your money goes for products you're already buying and you just want to buy them from a different place that'll ship it right to your house that makes everything that it sh- that ships and thus will help you strike a blow against woke culture, well, then go to PatriotSwitch.com and click my name, Bruce Hooley, and I'll give you a call, shoot you an email, we'll talk about it, and away we'll go on getting you on board the PatriotSwitch.com movement. All right, let's get into the Browns trade of Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers. All right, when you're drafted number one overall expectations are that you will become a franchise quarterback. Baker Mayfield's not the typical Browns first-round quarterback bust. He's not Brandon Whedon. He's not Johnny Manziel. And he's kind of sort of Tim Couch in that Tim Couch hung around for a while, but ultimately was not the guy. So Baker has a very complicated Cleveland history He burst onto the scene on Monday Night Football in 2018 against the Jets when Tarod Taylor got hurt, and Baker was phenomenal. He set a rookie record for touchdown passes, and he raised a lot of hopes for the future. And then he had a really bad 2019. 
okay, the league adjusts to the guy in the second year, and I always said the key would be, can he adjust to the adjustment? Looked like he did in 2020. They're 11-5. and five. They get to the playoffs. They beat the Steelers. They got a playoff win over their arch rival. Everything's looking up. And then he was bad after that in 2021. And he was hurt, and he played hurt, and I admire guys who played hurt. We'll never know what would have happened with Baker Mayfield's Cleveland history had he just sat out after his torn labrum. Is it the Browns' fault? Is it his fault? Yes, it is. I mean, it's both, right? He wanted to play. The Browns wanted him to play. They had a playoff team. Obviously, they won won in the playoffs the year before. And I get it. I understand it. But for the long-term health of Baker Mayfield and of the franchise, was that the best decision? Well, obviously not. He's not here anymore. And the Browns now have a boatload of money committed to a guy that they're not sure if he's ever going to play for them. I mean, they think Deshaun Watson will. But I'd be nervous if I committed 240 million dollars to Deshaun Watson and he's facing an indefinite suspension, and I don't know if he's going to play in 2021 or play half the year or play none at all or ever play. So we'll stand by on the Watson thing. That's separate from Mayfield. But they gave up on Mayfield when they got Watson. Baker was not going to stay here. I thought that was kind of dumb on his part, and the Browns gave him away. They just did. They gave him away. They gave him away to the Carolina Panthers. For a fourth or fifth round pick, it'll be depend upon how much Mayfield plays and how successful he is. I think he'll be successful. I do. And the reason why I think he'll be successful is because he's in the perfect situation that Baker Mayfield has already proven he thrives in. I'm not necessarily talking about the people around him in Carolina, although he's got decent receivers and he's got a pretty good offensive line. They spent their offensive line, their number one pick, on a left tackle. But Baker Mayfield thrives when he can sell himself on the idea that nobody believes in me. I'm unappreciated. I'm disrespected. The problem Baker Mayfield has is when he is not disrespected and when he is not underappreciated and you expect him to play and act and lead like a mature professional, he has yet to prove he can do that, okay? The crotch-grabbing in college and the in-your-face flag-planting and all that stuff. I mean, when Baker Mayfield can play to that, he's great. And in the NFL, when people doubt him, even though he was the number one overall pick and the Heisman Trophy winner, he's still, ah, should have drafted Darnold. Ah, should have drafted Lamar Jackson. Ah, not starting him. Hugh Jackson, he traded off the whole, you know, Hugh Jackson won't start me, won't even consider starting me. That fed Baker Mayfield's me-against-the-world mindset. And the me-against-the-world mindset's okay for a while, but when you land a bunch of progressive insurance commercials and when you get a lot of the things that go along with being the number one overall pick and the Heisman Trophy winner, it just becomes kind of whiny and not credible to continue to portray yourself as if no one believes in you. What do you mean no one believes in you? John Dorsey picked you over everybody else. It's not like there were any other quarterbacks. There weren't any other quarterbacks in the draft he could have taken. He could have taken Sam Darnold. He could have taken Lamar Jackson. He could have taken Josh Allen. He took you. So you're not disrespected. Okay, fine. He parlayed it for a while. Baker Mayfield's thin-skinned. Baker Mayfield's insecure. Odell Beckham comes over in a trade. Jarvis Landry's there. He's got veterans around him. Take what you did as a rookie, 
and take what you did in your bounce back season of 2020 and tell those guys to pound sand if they don't like you overlooking them to throw the ball elsewhere. You're the quarterback. You're the leader. Don't let them talk you out of the decisions that you made. And, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski, they seem to get along fine in 2020. And then in 2021, all of a sudden, they don't get along fine, which tells me Baker Mayfield is always looking for a fight. He's always got his jut out. He's a how dare you. He's a, a dare you to cross this line. He's that kind of a guy. There's something about Baker Mayfield that he he's like Draymond Green. He can't stand prosperity. He's like Conor McGregor. A bunch of guys out there in sports. From time to time, you encounter one who just can't take the success that they've been granted and move on and mature. Baker Mayfield is always going to be the guy flailing his arms around. He's always going to be, I'll prove it, I'll prove it. Well, you've already proven it. You won the Heisman. Got your team to the college football playoff. You were the number one overall pick. You got your team to the playoffs. You won a playoff game. You're not being doubted. You can fabricate it all you want. It doesn't exist. Grow up. But in terms of the Carolina Panthers, where he has to go in and theoretically compete with Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold's going to have to be a lot better than he's been before because Sam Darnold's washed out with the Jets and he's now washed out with the Panthers. They wouldn't have taken Baker Mayfield's $10 million salary, which of course is a discount from what he was going to be owed in Cleveland. The Panthers wouldn't have taken that if they were sold on Sam Darnold. So, okay, it works for Baker Mayfield. It's set up to work for Baker Mayfield in his prove-it contract year with the Carolina Panthers. But I'm going to tell you, Having Baker Mayfield long term as your as your quarterback is I can't like it to anything other than one of my favorite analogies, which is dating a stripper. Not that as a Christian man I advocate dating a stripper, but we're talking about colloquially, you know, dating a stripper. Whoa, wow, look, I got this beautiful woman on my arm. Yeah, well, she's a stripper, okay? Other guys have seen her in a state of being that hopefully you are the only one who gets to see that when she's your wife. And she may be a hooker, and so it looks impressive, but it's really not that impressive because there are headaches that come with dating a stripper. And there are headaches that come with Baker Mayfield as your starting quarterback because you give him a contract and you count on him to be mature and you count on him to be able to muster from himself whatever he was able to muster from himself when he felt like people doubted him, and all of a sudden he can't do it. Because people don't doubt him anymore. Because he proved he could do it, and we expect you to act like an adult. So I never liked the arm-waving, prancing. I just never liked it. Because it's not, for lack of a better term, presidential. It's not how Aaron Rodgers acts. It's not how Tom Brady acts. It's not how Peyton Manning acts. It's not how great quarterbacks act. So... Will I be surprised if Baker Mayfield has a really good season in 2021? No, I'll actually be surprised if he has a bad season in 2021. Will he be able to grow from it, learn from it? Maybe. Maybe Matt Rule in Carolina will do a good job with him, whoever Carolina's quarterback coach is. Maybe he'll do a really good job with Baker Mayfield. And maybe Baker will learn from the mistakes that he made in Cleveland. But the odds are I'm going to get what I've always gotten, which is, Volatile Baker Mayfield. Volatile in 
performance, volatile in behavior, volatile in maturity. They always say, shout out to John Cooper and his Ten Commandments of Football. The best indication of what's going to happen is what's already happened. And with Baker Mayfield, enough things have happened that you shouldn't be surprised by what happens next. All right. What did they get for him? What did they? Uh, what have they done in the past, trade-wise? We'll talk about that after I remind you to patronize our friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Get 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Light, medium, dark roast. Whether you want it whole bean, ground, or in K-cups, they have it. Paul and Grace, what's their whole business philosophy? It's to integrate their ministry with their love of coffee, so they buy their coffee direct from growers in countries where they've served as missionaries or have missionary relationships, Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua, Ethiopia. It's a win for the grower because Paul pays them more than they would get if they went through typical government contractors and middlemen here, there, and everywhere. It's a direct from grower to you relationship through my friends at Hemisphere. So the plantation owners, managers, then take some of the money Paul gives them for their coffee, and they plug it into ministry efforts in those countries. It's a great, great thing. I love their mission. I love their coffee. I love how they do what they do and why they do what they do, and I think you'll love it too, and I would heartily ask you to support it at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, and you will get 15% off. Okay. Does this have the potential to be one of the great trades in Brown's history? I mean, I guess, but you typically don't expect a fourth or a fifth rounder to become a guy that, you know, is transformative. Have they ever had such a guy? Well, they they used a number four draft pick on Reggie Rucker. So Reggie Rucker is one of the great acquisitions in Brown's history with a pick that they acquired from someone else. The top trade in Brown's history is also kind of the worst trade in Brown's history. What do I mean? The Browns traded Hall of Famer Paul Warfield to the Miami Dolphins in, I think, 1970 for Purdue quarterback Mike Phipps. Mike Phipps was the quarterback at Purdue when Purdue came into Ohio Stadium in 1968, and the Woody Hayes super sophomores upset number one Purdue and then went on to win the Rose Bowl and O.J. Simpson and win the national championship. Well, Phipps was still really good, an All-American quarterback at Purdue back when Purdue had All-American quarterbacks like Bob Greasy and Len Dawson. And so Phipps, the Browns really wanted Mike Phipps. So they traded Warfield to the Miami Dolphins to get the pick for Mike Phipps. And Mike Phipps was was disappointing. He got him to the playoffs uh, early on in his career, and then they kind of flamed out. And so they traded him to the Chicago Bears and – In today's NFL, this would never happen, but the Browns got a number one pick for Mike Phipps, and they used it in 1978 to, with their second pick in that draft, draft Ozzie Newsome. So the worst trade, trading Warfield for Mike Phipps, led to the best trade, getting a number one for Phipps and using it on Ozzie Newsome. Okay, but will this be a great trade for the Panthers? Yes. Yes, it will be a great trade for the Carolina Panthers. Other good trades the Browns have made? Mm, I'd say the best trade is when they agreed to pay Brock Osweiler in exchange for a second-round pick 
from the Houston Texans. Boy, you went back to the Texans for a quarterback. Uh, why would you do that? Because the second rounder that they got for taking Brock Osweiler's massive contract became Nick Chubb. Became Nick Chubb. They got Nick Chubb with that pick. So that's a great, great trade. Um, some people say trading Trent Richardson was a great trade. Mm, okay, getting rid of Trent Richardson was, was, I guess, a great trade. They shockingly traded Trent Richardson in the second year after he gained 950 yards as a rookie. At the time, everybody thought, what are you doing? When the Browns used that pick from the Colts to draft Johnny Manziel. So, was that a great trade? <laughs> we got rid of Trent Richardson. We got a number one pick. Yeah, what did you do with the pick? Oh, uh, we drafted Johnny Manziel. <laughs> Never mind who we drafted. Now you drafted Johnny Manziel. Okay. So, I wouldn't say that was a great trade. Uh, the best trade in my personal fandom sports history, uh, 1970 Cincinnati Reds traded Lee May and Tommy Helms to the Houston Astros for Dennis Menke, Cesar Geronimo, Joe Morgan, and Jack Billingham. And Morgan obviously became a two-time MVP with the Reds, the Big Red Machine. The Reds moved Tony Perez from third base to first base. The uh, Reds eventually moved Pete Rose to third base, although Menke played third base for the Reds for a while. Cesar Geronimo became a gold glove outfielder, and Jack Billingham became a consequential starting pitcher, 10, 12, 15 game winner. So that was a great trade. Uh, and that allowed the Reds to uh, become the big red machine and win back to back World Series in 1975 and 1976 before most of you guys listening to this podcast were even a glint in your father's eye. Yes. Okay. Uh, what else? On this trade. What about the Bernie Kosar trade? You know, the Browns traded draft picks to get Buffalo's number one pick in the supplemental draft so they could draft Bernie Kosar. They gave up two number ones for Bernie Kosar. They gave up a one and a three and a an 85 and a one and a six in 86. So it's pretty hard to say, mm, we stole Bernie Kosar. They, they stole him because they outmaneuvered everybody to get to the number one spot in the supplemental draft and nobody knew why would you want the number one pick in the supplemental draft? The number one pick in the supplemental draft because Bernie had told him, hey, I'm going to finagle my way out of the University of Miami and you draft me. And so they did, but mm, you give up two number ones for a guy in the mid-80s. Now, he got him to three AFC championship games, so it was a great, great, great deal. Anytime you get a quarterback that takes you to three AFC championship games, you can't give up too much for him. But it wasn't like they stole him, is all I'm saying. Uh, as for Baker... In Carolina, what he does will largely depend upon whether Christian McCaffrey's healthy. McCaffrey's played, what, 10 games the last two years? But he's, like, the number one producing running back in the league when he's healthy, catching, running, scoring. If he's healthy, uh, then I give Baker a chance to have a really, really great year with Carolina. And if McCaffrey's not healthy, then that puts more pressure on Baker, and I would imagine him not to be that successful. So that's where we are. That's what we'll see. The thing about the Browns, I have this on very good authority from someone involved in the trade. Okay. Someone involved in the trade. Not going to say who it is. Not going to say which team it is. The Browns could have gotten Sam Darnold in this trade. The Browns did not want Sam Darnold in this trade. They did not want Sam Darnold. Now you say, well, Sam Darnold, he washed out in Carolina. He washed out in, with the Jets. Why would they want not? Why would they want him? You're crazy. The Browns right now have Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs. 
And I'm just going to tell you, the way things work for the Cleveland Browns, as a lifelong Browns fan, is that Jacoby Brissett is a finger off a lineman's helmet in a non-contact passing drill away from being out for a month or more. He is a, I don't know how it happened, but I turned on my knee and I heard a pop away from being out for the season and the Browns having Josh Dobbs as their starting quarterback, a guy who the Steelers gave up on, even though the Steelers need a quarterback with Big Ben retiring. So I'm not saying Sam Darnold is the Sam Darnold that I thought he was when I advocated for the Browns to take him number one out of USC when he entered the league. But I am saying that this would be by far the best team Sam Darnold has ever played on and that he has never played with a back like Nick Chubb, let alone Kareem Hunt, and he never played with a defense like he will have, and maybe, just maybe, with the responsibility only to hand the ball off and not throw interceptions, and I know he's thrown more interceptions than touchdown passes, but with the Jets and with the Panthers, he's got to force it in. you got to try to make things happen. With the Browns, you have the luxury of being able to let things happen. And I think Stefanski can coach a quarterback like Sam Darnold because I don't think Sam Darnold's skill set is a whole lot different than Case Keenum's skill set. And Kevin Stefanski got Case Keenum to the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago in Minneapolis with the Vikings. So I'm not saying Sam Darnold is the answer to the world's problems at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, but I am saying he's definitely better than Josh Dobbs And he's, until I'm proven wrong by whoever they acquire, better than whoever else they might think they can pick up. I've heard people say, oh, they were able to pick up Nick Mullins a few years ago. You can't compare Nick Mullins to Sam Darnold. Please don't even try. So I would have taken Darnold, and I think it's dumb that they now apparently realize, if Terry Pluto is correct, and I'm sure he is, that they need another quarterback. Yeah, you need another quarterback. (laughs) Take Darnold and be done with the whole thing, okay? But they're probably trying to save cap space or something like that. But I I would have taken Sam Darnold. Just saying, I would have taken Sam Darnold. Now, the uh, college recruitment of talent is a whole lot different than the NFL. In the NFL, it is uh, largely a measure of the salary cap and the contract length and all that. In college, you just have to have a big, shiny NIL program and a great social media team that can splash your name all over uh, Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. And you have to be one of the haves. And Ohio State is clearly one of the haves. That is why Ohio State right now is crushing it on the recruiting front. They have 18 commitments for their class coming up. And they just got a uh, defensive lineman out of DeMatha High School in Hyattsville, Maryland, who was rumored to be going to Notre Dame and Ohio State getting him, at least getting a commitment from him. He's not obviously obligated to sign at this point in time. But that has Ohio State number one in all the recruitniks lists. So they have 18 commitments. How many are from Ohio? How many from Ohio? Five. Five or no, six. I'm sorry. Six of the 18 are from Ohio. I kind of say five because one of the six is Will Smith's son, Will Smith, from Dublin. And Will Smith's son is a three-star. Now you tell me, if Will Smith's son was not Will Smith's son, would Ohio State recruit him? Not a chance. Not a chance in the world. But they're taking him and they're counting him as a recruit at this point in time. But if they need that scholarship, 
Will Smith is going to become a gray shirt. He's going to be one of those late enrollees. He's going to enroll in January rather than in the fall, and they're going to push him back and push him back, and he may go from recruit to preferred walk-on because as Will Smith's son, he's not exactly hurting for money to pay his way into Ohio State. So I'm just saying, five of the 18 are guys they would have recruited in Ohio. And this is where we're headed now that USC and UCLA are members of the Big Ten. Boy, I have to really think about saying that. And the national focus of Ohio State in recruiting is going to continue. The They've recruited California before. They are going to continue to do that. It's going to further open up California because now they can actually tell kids that, you know, there's a realistic, there's a, there's more than a realistic chance your family's going to see you. We don't have to get to the Rose Bowl for them to see you. They're going to see you because you're in our league now. But I just, I, I, I know that everything is being done on this front. Everything with college athletics is being done because it has to be done. You have to do name, image, and likeness. You have to do immediate transfer eligibility. You have to do transfer portal. You have to do, you know, rampant, nonsense, geographically nonsensical uh, conference realignments. There's a good reason for doing it. Everything they're doing makes perfect sense. But let me just tell you, everything they're doing is, in my opinion, going to forever hasten how people view college athletics. We are in a period of time, I would say, of a period of time that will take less than a decade for many, many fans to detach from college athletics in a way that will be a dramatic detachment from how people have been invested in college athletics for a long, long time. I just don't think people are going to continue to look at these conferences and at these players and at these schools as they have looked at them all these years. I just don't. I just don't. And I think we're going to see a big 20, uh, an SEC, a big 12. They're always going to call themselves the Big Ten. But I think we're going to see Big 12, Big Ten, and SEC rule the roost. And, you know, ACC will eventually go away. Pac-12 going to go away. Notre Dame. See, here's the thing. People think, oh, Notre Dame's got to join a league. Well, do they? Do they have to join a league? If everybody always wants them, do they have to join a league? Do you think the Big 12 wouldn't make the same allowances for Notre Dame that the ACC has made? I think they would. I don't know. The Big 10 probably won't. Their ego is such they probably won't. The SEC won't. But I think Notre Dame can, and it's it's a mystery to me why, but Notre Dame can still write their own ticket. No, it's not really a mystery to me. It's just that I don't share the fascination with Notre Dame that um, that a lot of people do, and they are a big national draw, and to me, I could care less about them. And so I'm prone to say, nobody cares about Notre Dame because I don't care about Notre Dame, but a lot of people care about Notre Dame, and otherwise they wouldn't have the kind of, leeway, power, and cachet that they have. Okay, Uh, let me remind you about my friends at Willis Spangler Starling, the best attorney firm in the central Ohio area. WillisAttorneys.com, WillisAttorneys.com. That's the website. Go to find out 
what they can do for you when it comes to Social Security, disability, employment law, uh, wills, estate planning, all the biggies, personal injury, of course. Yes, they have the staff, the partners, the associates, more importantly, the integrity, acumen, and expertise to take care of you in any situation. They are my attorney. I can't give you any higher recommendation than recommending my attorney to you. So, willisattorneys.com, located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. Check them out, and when you call them or get a hold of them on the web, tell them that you heard about it on the We Tackle Life podcast. Willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Okay, let's go to the faith portion of the podcast. And in keeping with the theme of the day, let's talk about the greatest trade of all time. The greatest trade of all time. The greatest trade of all time is the trade that is available to you and to everyone else in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest trade of all time. You are trading your imperfection, your lack of qualification for eternal life, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the death of Christ on the cross, which if you claim it, you don't just acknowledge it, Anybody can acknowledge it if you just say, yeah, Jesus lived, he was a real guy, and he died on the cross, and he rose again. Nope, nope, one more very important step. And that step is, and because he did that for me, I'm claiming that as my only credential for getting into heaven. Nothing in my hand I bring, solely to the cross I cling. That's the old hymn, and that's how it works. It's not an intellectual awareness of Jesus and what he did at the cross and rising again to new life, beating death. It is that he did it for me, and I'm claiming it. And if you would like to have this walked out for you in step-by-step fashion, this very amazing trade that is available to you is clearly outlined in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, notes that Abraham, now that's way before Jesus, way before Jesus, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Abraham believed and it was counted to him. In other words, he was credited with being a righteous man, a man who did things in the right way, right standing with God. So how did he, how did he gain right standing with God? He like farmed his wife out. He told some dudes that his wife was not his wife, that she was his sister. And these guys were going to take her and make her their wife. Wow. That's, that's not exactly right standing behavior. Abraham, how could Abraham be, be, be declared righteous? Because Abraham believed What's another word for belief? Faith. He had faith. He had faith that what God told him, that all of mankind would be blessed through you. All of mankind. And Abraham's going, I'm an old man. I got no kids. How's all of mankind going to be blessed through me? How are my kids going to be as numerous as the sands on the seashore? But what God told Abraham, he believed it. He had faith in what? God told him. Verse 7 of Galatians 3 says, those who believe are the children of Abraham. So if you become one of Abraham's children, then you are counted among those who have the faith 
that counts you as being righteous. And you do that not by the fact that you're Jewish like Abraham or that you can trace your ancestry back to Abraham. You become his son or his daughter of Abraham by believing in Jesus because that's who Abraham believed in. He believed what God told him. Verse 8 said, God would justify the children of Abraham by faith. And this is the part that I just noticed the other day, and this is so cool. Verse 8, Galatians 3, God would justify, which means count them as righteous, count them as not guilty. God would justify the children of Abraham by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. And what is that gospel? Colon. Announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, colon, all nations will be blessed through you. So the gospel was always God's divine plan to restore sinners to redemption. It was never, never the plan for mankind to attain right standing with God by our behavior. And it says that in verse 11 and 12 of Galatians 3, no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous will live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in what Christ did for you. Because, in verse 13, Christ redeemed us by the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. What does that mean? Christ redeemed us by the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. In other words, the law curses you because, hey, here's the law, Ten Commandments, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't covet, don't envy, don't take the Lord's name in vain. The law is a curse. Why? Because nobody can do it. Nobody can do it perfectly. So it's a curse. It dooms you. You mean I got to do all that every day, every hour, every minute, every second? (laughs) I failed that in the last five minutes. The curse of the law. You're inadequate. You're unable. You can't do it. But Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ redeemed us, so we're forgiven, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took our punishment. He took our punishment. And then verse 14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you and me. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Okay? You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. So, We're in. We're in Abraham's family. We're counted as part of God's family because of that faith. But you've got to accept it. You've got to claim it. And then you live by it. I'm living free, man. I'm not worried about my sin and what it does and disqualifies me. No. Jesus covered it once and for all. If he didn't cover it once and for all, why why did he say, after giving up his spirit, It is finished. It, the act of redemption, is done. The sacrifice paid, the price paid, the penalty paid for your sin and mine is finished. I hung on this cross. I lived a sinless life. I'm the perfect sacrifice. You have atonement through me. So why would anybody refuse this trade? Why would you turn this trade down? Your imperfection for Christ's perfection. You don't understand the terms of the trade? You don't understand what you're getting? 
You don't understand how much, how all-encompassing, how <laughs> you don't understand what you're getting or you don't understand what you're giving up. You don't understand that you're going to be freed from having to do it yourself. Like, do you not understand the terms of this trade that's available to you? And if you've, if you've accepted the terms of this trade, you're not one of the people I'm talking to who hasn't made this decision to live your life according to faith and what Christ did for you at the cross. You've made the trade, but you're not telling anybody else about it. You're not sharing it with anybody. You're not talking to that person who you know, if they died today, you'd be like, mm, I don't know if they're saved or not. Probably not. Makes me uncomfortable to think about the fact that they're not saved, but I, I can't go talk to them about it. Uh, why? Why? You scared? You uncomfortable? Well, let me just say this. Do not be so selfish and so cowardly that you stay silent and let others experience the consequences that you have been spared because someone had the courage to convince you or to explain to you what you're afraid to tell others. Think of that. You are afraid? You are ashamed? You don't have the courage to tell someone else about the availability of the greatest trade of all time, the availability of Christ's forgiveness to them, even though somebody else had the courage to tell you you're not going to do it for somebody else. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be shared not meant to be hoarded it's not meant to be kept secret it's not meant to be kept quiet it is meant to be shared so i hope that you will share it and i hope that you will share it boldly because you're giving people the best deal they'll ever get not shy about telling them, man, you should have seen Maverick. What a great movie. Man, you ought to eat at Hyde Park. Great place to eat. Gotta eat there. You'll tell people about a restaurant or a movie? You won't tell them about what could give them eternal life? In the words of our president. Come on, man. And with that, I will leave you as I head for warmer climbs. Less humid ones as well. Talk to you again soon on the next edition of the We Tackle Life Podcast.